Hi, the hell you boys and girls out there in podcast land. As usual, we have some fun stuff after the credits, so be sure to stick around. But we have a lot to cover in this episode, so let's get started right away. On with the show. Good afternoon. Looks like we have a big crowd here today. I'm John Marino, VP Technology at NAB, and welcome to 4K, UHD, HDR, and more. The future of video. TV really hasn't died. It's just completely changed, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. The TV that you and I grew up with was a box in our parents' living room. Hey guys, this is Andy with No Film School. We're here with Jim at the GoPro booth. Uh, what's new, Jim? Lots of stuff. Uh, specifically, our I am Rodney Charters for Newshooter.com. I here at NAB 2016. I have Adam here from DJI. And he's going to tell us all about the new Osmo. Sir, for yes. the National Association of Broadcasters, we are delighted that you are here with us at the NAB show. For the R360 video. Basically, we have six Hero 4 Black Edition cameras here. Lenses that are all lenses and some other third parties. NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters Convention in Las Vegas, Nevada. What started out in 1923 as a small convention in New York for radio broadcasters has become the mecca of radio, film, and television professionals around the world. It was reported that over 100,000 people attended this year's show. It is by far the largest convention and expo of its kind for the industry. It's a place where you can go to see all the latest and greatest tools, toys, and technology. Well, today on the show, technology is our topic. But in true Radio Film School fashion, you can expect that this will not be a rundown of the latest and greatest gadgets to hit Vegas this year. As far as this show is concerned, what happened in Vegas can stay in Vegas. I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School, a filmmaker's journey. Um, so, you know, the stuff in the past, I think, I think I'd much rather kind of focus on the future, you know. It's going to be much, much easier for producers to go and, and capture the footage they need. I have to admit, I'm torn over how I feel about shows like NAB. On one hand, I'm an old romantic who ends each one of my shows by saying, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. And I mean that wholeheartedly. When it comes to filmmaking, story is everything. But I'm also a pragmatist. There have been times when I've gotten frustrated in the editing room because I shot something with a camera that had terrible low light ability and I'm struggling to fix it in post. Or I didn't have the best mic at my disposal and my audio sounded like crap. So I am keenly aware of the need to having the best tools for the job. And despite my show ending send-off, I too can get gearless or have my heart pitter-patter over a really great camera or editing program. I also have to admit that there is a part of me that is secretly envious of bloggers and vloggers and podcasters who report in all the cool technology. I mean, to be blunt, they get the most traffic. 
A podcast about the latest and greatest gear will almost always be more popular and have better download numbers than a philosophical and existential exploration of what it means to be a storyteller. A straight-up interview with the head of product development at Red Cinema talking about the latest Mysterium, FX, Hydra, Dragon, or whatever mythical creature they come up with next will, for the most part, trounce an emotional, heart-filled audio documentary that taps into the soul of a filmmaker struggling to find his or her place in the world. And you know what? I'm okay with that. If I've learned nothing during this season of the show, I've learned that part of finding your voice as an artist and developing a signature style is being authentic to what truly moves you. And embracing that authenticity come hell or high water. If you try to do something that's not true to you, just because you think it'll give you better numbers, you will most likely fail. I love how Jeff Kanata, Slash Filmcast co-host and technology personality himself put it. I always tell people when they ask for advice about, you know, starting a podcast or, or something. Right. I always say, you know, talk about the thing that you would talk about anyway. Mm, yeah. You know, it, it because doing something calculated to try to fit a niche or, or to try to, you know, manufacture an audience about something, that is never going to last. And it's never going to feel authentic. And authenticity is the currency of the internet. I mean, face it, I will never be that guy who comes to you from the floor of NAB with a microphone and a camera, bringing you interviews with the product managers and investors shilling the floors. I will never be the podcast who week after week brings you the latest news from the world of film and television technology. I'm just not that guy. I am that guy who will talk about technology and what it means for us as storytellers. I am that guy who will ask of my guests the more esoteric questions that pose deeper, dare I say, spiritual issues about life and purpose and meaning. I wholeheartedly believe that the secret to becoming a better storyteller is tapping into that aspect of our soul that yearns for answers to questions like, in a world where we already are so distracted by smartphones, what are the ramifications of a technology like virtual reality that has the ability to take us wholly and completely out of our physical world and lost in a world that's not even real? What happens when the lines between reality and make-believe become so blurred that like Leo DiCaprio's wife in Inception, we can become forever lost in it? But however you feel about technology, I would be remiss not to address the role it has played in the history of filmmaking. What you find is with a lot of the early filmmakers, when you go back to those roots, that lo and behold, most, not all, I mean, there's, uh, but, uh, but the, the fir- what, what you would call the first generation of filmmakers, you know, uh, uh, the Lumiere brothers, mm-hmm. uh, Edison, mm-hmm. uh, the, the whole first generation of filmmakers, uh, guess what they were? That's the voice of David Shulman, executive director of the Seattle Film Institute. I've gone to my interview with David a number of times throughout the season, and here he makes a comment that I have to admit seems fatefully ironic in the context of this show and the soapbox I just got down from. They were inventors interested in the technology. Mm-hmm. They weren't interested 
and there was they were the ones inventing the projector they right. were the ones inventing the cameras right. so they were the one they were the they were the tinkerers they weren't somebody coming out of a theater background or vaudeville that was saying i'm looking for a new format to do uh, to do a, uh, to transform an art form no they were coming out of factories the technical side, even as early as Milias is, he's sort of generation 1A or generation 2. So, so his background was as a magician. So he's a storyteller. He's an entertainer. He's one of the first uh, that is making the transition from the generation that was just interested in the technology as, as equipment to using the technology as storytelling. So... Despite my passionate opening about the importance of tapping into the soul of an artist, and not so subtly implying that there is way too much emphasis placed on technology, it turns out that the origins of this craft were in fact all about technology. Not until Melier, the magician and performer, did we start to see the storytelling generation thrive. I'm sure that's why for his film Hugo, master storyteller and filmmaker himself, Martin Scorsese, based it on Melier's and not on the Lumiere brothers. In many ways, we're seeing today the kind of technological milestones and paradigm shifts that started the industry over 100 years ago. Virtual reality as a medium for independent filmmakers to explore, like, I don't want to say that it's going to take film over, but it may. That's James Kalin, editor-in-chief of Bright Ideas magazine, the semi-annual print publication of film crowdfunding site Seed and Spark, designed specifically to be distributed in the top-tier North American film festivals. I asked James what technologies in the industry he was most excited about. No new art form ever fully supplants its predecessors, and, you know, film will never never die. um, and it tells a totally different kind of story in the same way that obviously a novel tells a story differently than a film does. But virtual reality tells stories as differently from film as film is from radio. It's absolutely the Wild West. Um, and it's also one of those things where the sooner people can experiment in it, learn something about it, test something in the space, like the brighter their futures are going to be. If you can carve out a name for yourself in this medium, soon you're in a fantastic position because right now it's like i mean it's the 1890s of film it's the it's we're essentially at the lumiere brothers stage where the train is pulling into the station and we think it's incredible it almost seems like you have to be a particular kind of storyteller to even want to use virtual reality like like do you see filmmakers and in, in, in traditional filmmakers making a shift to adding virtual reality to the repertoire of how they tell films or do you see a completely new generation of filmmakers like a, a like it's its own whole new category it is a entirely new medium and in, in Jessica Brillhart who's the head of VR filmmaking at Google i was on a panel with her at Sundance and she made a great point which was that w- maybe one of the biggest obstacles to virtual reality is filmmaking and that is because we are attempting to bring over a lexicon, uh, a history that developed specifically around the technical limitations of film. You move the camera, you show the audience where to look, 
in virtual reality, you don't show the audience where to look. You just place them in a space. And that's cool. That's cool to force uh, a new element of formalism into filmmaking. Because, of course, out of necessity, so much of American independent cinema has become anti-formalist. Because, you know, the faster and looser you shoot, the more naturalistic your performances can be, but also the more freedom you have to move about in spaces that you don't have control over. And VR is sort of forcing us back into, at least right now, it's requiring a new kind of uh, a new kind of formalism, a new kind of rigor that you don't often see uh, in, in lower budget independent cinema. Whereas James shared with me what technologies he's excited about, another professional in the industry had a more nuanced look at technology. And ironically, the person runs a technology company. There's so much of, of us as filmmakers and, and, and artists where we, where we kind of sometimes hide behind uh, tech, technology to not do things. Here's Rollo Winlock, CEO and co-founder of Whipster. I remember when I was in my early 20s and I could only get access to a really crappy handicap. And I was like, oh, it's just not good enough. You know, it's not cinematic enough for me to make, make, make my film. And I look back now and go, oh man, why didn't that little guy just make the damn film? You know, one of the 16 bad films. Why didn't I just right. do it? And I was hiding behind not having just the right camera to not make the film. It was actually just me procrastinating because I was afraid it was going to be terrible anyway. Um, but I hid behind not having, not having a cinema camera. You know, and then when I was a little bit older and I started to use cinema cameras for commercial work and things, I mean, the work was not amazingly good. It wasn't any better because of the technology. It's just the image quality was higher, which meant nothing. Like, how good am I engaging an audience? It has nothing to do with how good my camera is. And, and so what I love now is that I can pick up my iPhone. And I've been shooting all my vlogs on an iPhone. Mm. Um, I, I can just pick that up, shoot some stuff. And as long as I can weave it together in a way that's not boring as hell, I can interest some people. I can give, get some ideas across. I can show them my life. I can communicate with them where they want to communicate back. And that is what is exciting now. I can put it on Facebook. I can put it on, on Vimeo. I can put it on Twitter. I can put it on YouTube. I can put it anywhere where, where the audience might exist. And I can start to see what happens. I can put my ideas out there and see what comes back. What do people want, want to talk to me about? Do people pick up on what I'm saying? Can I go deeper? You know, can I start to reveal things that have been, say, painful in my life? to a lot, of, a lot of people who make me feel okay about it. And then it makes them feel okay about it. You know, all these things. And, and so I'm not, I'm not particularly excited about any one piece of technology, you know, any software, any, any hardware. I'm just excited that it's all there. Speaking of Whipster, I'm excited to announce that Whipster is the latest sponsor for Radio Film School. And if you're a Premiere Pro user, you'll want to check this out. I'm an editor. I edit in Adobe Premiere, and I'm a pro, so I share all my edits with clients for feedback. With the new Whipster add-on, I can get feedback right inside Premiere with a single click of a button. That's it. I just shared this edit with my clients. I've been a personal user of Whipster with my clients for a few years now, and I love the ability to add frame-accurate comments. I also love their ability to actually draw on the video, allowing clients to point out specific issues on a specific part of the video. Go to webster.io slash premiere-pro to learn more about their Premiere Pro integration. And let me just say, as a Final Cut user, I have my fingers crossed that they're working on the FCPX panel. There's no mention that they are. This is just me wishful thinking. 
Plan to hear from Rollo over the next few regular episodes of the show with some great tips on using their service and tips on collaboration in general. Now, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to look at the more philosophical aspects of this technology discussion. Stay tuned, because the best is yet to come. Whenever I have an episode like today's, it really emphasizes, for me anyway, the role that story plays in our careers. Still Motion as a production company has won Emmys and become world-renowned precisely because of their storytelling. But because they are so well-known and respected, I sometimes think we think they feel invulnerable. But that's far from the case. Still Motion co-founder Patrick Moreau and I were having a conversation about the making of their film series, The Remarkable Ones, and I asked him this question. Was there any aspect of this that was outside of your comfort zone or the team's comfort zone? I... Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, me. there, there, there really is. Um, you're hopping on the phone with people, really only knowing what you've read, you know, and then you, you don't want to be presumptuous, and you don't really know exactly where it'll go, and uh, and you've got a short amount of time to try and really understand uh, them, and therefore like the story we would tell, and it, it's hard, you know, because you're, you're, um, I mean, within. 10 minutes of hanging out with Chris Darwin, you're talking about like real life stuff, um, things that shaped him and what he wants to, what he is he wants to say to the world. And you've got to find a way to be that connected um, that you can actually go there and skip all of the, you know, surface level BS that we should honestly know before we get them on the phone. So uh, it's definitely hard to, to kind of make those connections and to just dive in and be vulnerable and open because you need to you need to share those things about yourself if you expect them to share them as well. Sure. Um, and then when you making the episodes i mean there was a time with lek when we were out in the middle with elephants and it started pouring and she china just like looked over me and she she said you know they they know me they don't know you like i can't i can't guarantee that they're not going to you know run you over or anything else like you need to be careful and then you kind of like shake your head and you're like i'm in the middle of a field surrounded by elephants (laughs) and there's no safety net here um, which was the same feeling when I got up in the plane with Dave Jacka on the runway. I was so focused on the shot that I didn't really, uh, you know, you, you don't really think about it. And you get in the runway uh, up in the air and I'm tapping around the plane to see where I can move, realizing that it's a very thin, like fiberglass body, this really small, like Cessna. And um, the pilot is a quadriplegic. It takes a lot of openness to just kind of realize that these people are remarkable because they have had such different journeys and then in meeting them you know there's there's the uh there's the quite honestly you know how do you how do you greet a man who's quadriplegic you worry about like what is proper what's improper can i shake his hand should i like that kind of stuff where you just don't exactly know the etiquette and and you have a lot of that when you get really remarkable different people that are living in remote parts of the earth and that kind of thing and so it's trying to just be honest and open and genuine in everything you do and and work through it and create a real connection patrick and the team at still motion have a rich knowledge and experience of telling all kinds of remarkable stories from weddings in a tuscan setting to flying thousands of feet in the air in a plane piloted by a quadriplegic to a feature documentary about a nine-year-old girl who wanted to end human slavery by selling lemonade. They've taken this knowledge, combined with scientific research about how the brain works, and formed Muse Storytelling. If you haven't already done so, go check out learnstory.org and see how deep this approach to storytelling really is. 
And if you use the offer code RADIO, you can save $47 off lifetime access. We thank Stillmotion and Muse Storytelling for their support. At last. Welcome, Neo. As you no doubt have guessed, I am Morpheus. It's an honor to meet you. I can't look at a movie like The Matrix and not think to myself, is virtual reality bringing the human race one step closer to being permanently connected to some malevolent AI who's going to use our biochemical process to power an evil horde of squid-like and arachno-mechanical robots and murderous statistic computer programs dressed in black suits and dark shades? It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. Born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Or am I overreacting? I'm probably overreacting. Here's part of my conversation again with Bright Ideas Editor-in-Chief James Kalin. There's a part of virtual reality, though, that kind of scares me. You know? Oh, me too. I'm terrified. What what scares you about it? You know, we've had a, a fundamental shift in, in human behavior since the advent of the iPhone. Cinemas arrive in, you know, the late 1890s, and we sit pretty far from the screen. Then the television comes into the house starting in 1945, and we move closer to the screen. And then when the personal computer becomes ubiquitous in the 80s and 90s, we sit even closer to the screen. And then we carry the screen with us once the smartphone is essentially becomes ubiquitous with the advent of the iPhone uh, in 2007. And then with the advent of virtual reality, there is no sense of anything but the screen. You put the headset on and everywhere you look, the screen stays in front of you. There is no world outside of the screen. What I think will be really interesting is that there are so many companies and so many tech giants that are pouring money into content creation and development right now for VR that where it's very enticing. That's Mara Tasker, a colleague of James at Seed&Spark. Specifically, Mara heads up all of Seed&Spark's original content creation. She provided some additional commentary about virtual reality. And frankly, like a very sexy opportunity for a lot of content creators is that they are trying, VR companies are trying to make everything that they can right now in an effort to understand what types of stories will be most successful with this with this medium. And I think that's part of what's so exciting about it for people is that financing for, for film is so challenging and financing for VR right now, obviously this still has challenges, but the doors are open. <laughs> There's so much that these companies want to dabble in making and there are so many young content creators that have been waiting for the chance to try and test a vision that there's this really cool, you know, marriage of those two things right now. All right, I'm going to ask you something a little bit deep as it relates to VR and get your take on it. Is there any concern or fear of as VR continues to grow and becomes more adopted to create an outlet where we can be even further disconnected from reality or from each other than we already are? Uh, I love this question. <laughs> I have had 
lengthy discussions about this question with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally, um, I have, yeah, I have deep concerns about it. I think that I, I look at artists like Chris Milk and the way that he uh, speaks about them as empathy machines, and I've looked at his work in VR, and I think that he's right. I think that you can be transported into an experience where you can look at the way different human beings are living and the struggles that they face. And um, I don't know if you've had a chance to see his piece where he kind of takes you into a Syrian refugee camp. No, um, but I, I've, I've been looking at his site. I haven't had a chance to look yeah. at any of it yet. If you ever have the chance to see it, um, I would encourage you to do so. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. You get the chance to just really uh, to to be there and to hear it. And that's, I, I mean, to me, like like actually hearing what that space sounds like. Like there's no music. There are no screens. There's no... There's no extra sound. There's just this like tent city full of families, um, and you see how they're getting their food, and you see what their sort of de facto schools are, and it's really, really powerful. Um, so I, I agree with him in that they can be empathy machines. However, I also think that the other side of that is that we're already so obsessive about our phones. You know, they're they're with us on dates, at dinner, with our friends. They're in <laughs> right. front of us at all times. And so I think that like we are we are already so used to plugging into something and and having this like little device feel more interesting than the street in front of us that I think if we dive into VR and if we constantly have these sort of headsets on and we're looking at things that only we are experiencing right then and and we're not participating actively in our natural lives and we're not having meaningful human interactions with each other um, as we're designed to be able to do, then how do you measure empathy? And then how do you how do you like experience true empathy in your life? And then so then how can you kind of measure um, empathy as provoked by a VR experience against that? Yeah, I you know I don't quite I don't quite know what it will do for our connectivity to one another, and I think that it can both grow it and it can and it can sort of threaten our like authentic ability to relate to one another and to focus on one another. I don't know if you remember um, in WALL-E, you saw that movie? Yeah, of course. You know, towards the end, we're on the spaceship where everyone is buried in their, those little floating uh, couches and everyone's buried (laughs) in their computers and how, you know, how that's obviously, um, uh, you know, a commentary on technology and really, you know, that takes place 800 years in the future but it's not too far from where we are today and i've been i've been to restaurants where i see two people at an intimate table and they're both buried on their <laughs> phone and um my wife and i just yesterday we were sitting in bed and we were both you know buried in instagram looking right um and uh and our son comes in and he took a pretend picture of us because he was commenting on how you know both his parents were there literally sitting next to each other buried in their smartphones <laughs> Blessed uh, <him. laughs> um, it is ex- it is both scary and exciting for sure i have no idea where it's going to be in five years from now you know and i'm excited to again i'm excited to kind of watch the wave crash and i think like i mean the comment that you just made it you know you're kind of like in bed and there's there's someone else next to you and you're you're looking at instagram um you know, we're, we're programmed to be distracted. I mean, there's a reason that commercials are edited so quickly. They capture your brain. They cap- there's, there are light sensors that your brain is responding to. And it's going to uh, stay focused on anything, anything that moves a lot. And obviously, like with Instagram, it's not like a moving image. But you know that you have this, you can just scroll through 
one photo after another and, and take a peek at other people's lives. And there's a sort of natural voyeurism that we all kind of enjoy, I think, and just looking at each other living our lives. But, um, and I might be kind of an old soul about this, but I think that there's also tremendous value in like in boredom and in walking down the street and in taking in everything that's on that street and like the smell of it, the sound of it, the traffic, the feeling of it, the temperature of the air outside and who else is walking around with you. That's all valuable also to your experience as a human. And so anything that could, could really take you away from being able to, to extract what's in a present moment is something to, to contemplate. Gentlemen, open your text to page 21 of the introduction. Mr. Perry, will you read the opening paragraph of the preface entitled Understanding Poetry? Understanding Poetry by Dr. J. Evans Pritchard, PhD. To fully understand poetry, we must first be fluent with its meter, rhyme, and figures of speech, then ask two questions. One, how artfully has the objective of the poem been rendered? And two, how important is that objective? This whole issue of technology and filmmaking and how the two interact really hit home for me last week. No film school is probably the most trafficked site about filmmaking out there. And they did some amazing coverage of NAB this year. Well, one of their videos was an interview with John Carafin, head of Lightfield Video for Lytro. Now, a few years ago, Lytro made waves in the photography world when they released a still camera that could refocus a shot after the fact. It truly was remarkable technology. Now they're doing the same with video. And no film school got an exclusive personal demo. With a light field, you're actually capturing the discrete angular information or those actual rays of light. So what we're showing here is actually content that comes off of the camera where you're now able to take those rays of light and project them into space because you can effectively ray trace the light back into the real world. The easiest way to think of what you get with a light field camera or with Lytro Cinema is that is a digital holographic representation of everything that's in front of the camera. Okay, okay, hold up. I have to be honest, as I heard this guy talk, he sounded like the aforementioned J. Evans Pritchard from Dead Poet Society. Let's compare the two. Here's the excerpt from J. Evans Pritchard. If the poem's score for perfection is plotted on the horizontal of a graph, and its importance is plotted on the vertical, then calculating the total area of the poem yields the measure of its greatness. Now, here's an excerpt from the Lytro interview. What we are able to do now is you can control all of that through something that we call a volumetric flow vector. So we generate that. It's almost like a fluid simulation of how the light rays not only go through the lens, but how they travel over time. We have a very exacting understanding of how all that is accomplished, which gives us full control over those variable shutters. So you can use that for distribution. So again, you can release, let's say, at 24 frames per second with the correct shutter angle or motion blur for that scene, or for high frame or for broadcast or anything in between. Please, no hate mail, folks. I'm just the messenger. But here's the thing. This technology is actually pretty cool. I guess it's just this guy's delivery. I mean, like, where's the passion? Where's the gravitas? Is this what filmmaking is really about? Volumetric flow vectors? He actually said that. That's the actual name of a feature of the product. We're not laying pipe. We're talking about poetry. How can you describe poetry like American bandstand? Well, I like Byron. I give him a 42, but I can't <laughs> dance to it. Now I want you to rip out that page. Is it just me? I mean, no disrespect to Mr. Carafin. I really don't. 
but part of me was longing for Professor Keating to come in and save the day. I made a comment on the No Film School blog post for this video, and I use, not surprising, another Star Trek analogy. Computer, resume testing. Who said logic is the cement of our civilization with which we ascend from chaos using reason as our guide? T. Planahoff, matron of Vulcan philosophy. This year marks the 30th anniversary of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, arguably the second-best Trek film pre-J.J. Abrams. In this scene, Spot, who's been regenerated, brought back from the dead, and recoupled with his mind, is retraining his brain as he answers all sorts of complicated mathematical, scientific, and philosophy questions on three terminals simultaneously. It's a masterful display of his intellectual prowess. But then he's hit with a question by the computer he doesn't quite know how to answer. How do you feel? How do you feel? I do not understand the question. What is it, Spock? I do not understand the question, Mother. Well, you're half human. The computer knows that. The question is irrelevant. In every one of us as storytellers, there is the left brain and the right brain, the tech side and the soul. No matter how much I may romanticize filmmaking, I'm not an idiot. I realize you do need to know and understand the technology. The better you understand it and the rules, I do believe the better decisions you can make as a storyteller. But just like Spock needed to understand his human side, we filmmakers need to also stay connected to our equivalent. We must strike that balance. Go ahead and quote all the formulas for inverse square laws of light, shutter angles, and audio frequencies you want. But take the time to equally invest in and understand those more intangible and subjective qualities of being a storyteller. Listen to the podcasts that don't necessarily get into the details of how a film was made, but rather why and what difference it made in the filmmaker's life. As much as I may harp on filmmakers' overemphasis on technology and gear, one thought makes me rest easy. That no matter how gaga you get over gear, at the end of the day, you still need to entertain and engage an audience. Here's David Shulman again. You know, Edison, even, even with all the patents that he steals and stealing from everybody, he's not interested in what's going through the projector. He's interested in making the projector or making right. the camera. So that whole first generation, it's not, it's not connected with the art. Right, right. You know, it, it changes very, very quickly. You yeah. know, very, very quickly. And then, and then even the inventors get interested in the art, mm -hmm. you know, because they have to have something to show. Well, then you have to have something to show that people are going to be interested in watching. Then you have this great river that's filmmaking, and you have the first, the, the, the first apparent divide. The, the, the guy in France who can only pay a few centimes can't travel to India, right? So, so the Lumieres now have this camera and this projector, but how are they going to monetize it? They have to have something to show. Well, let's show people what life is like in India. Let's show them a flood. So the Lumiere brothers send documentary crews all over the world to get footage that the average French person can't see. Uh, Milliez, on the other hand, is a magician. He want, so, he, so he says, uh, how am I gonna get a few centimes out of the French public? Mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm gonna make a story. And I'll shoot the story in my studio right here in Paris. I'm not traveling around the world. I'm going to set up my studio. I'm going to do all these special effects. You know. So now, so now you have the Lumiere brothers, documentary filmmakers, uh, Milliers, narrative filmmakers, all trying to do 
the same thing. What? Entertain the public and make them pay a few centimes and sit in the seats. And this is one of the reasons why I, uh, you know, I love this idea of uh, not having such huge distinctions between documentary and narrative filmmaking, because even at the beginning of filmmaking, everybody's ultimate goal was the same tell a story that would engage an audience that would get a few centimes out of them. So whether it's VR technology or Lightro's Lightfield, the story still must be served. And unless your name is Michael Bay, no matter what technology you use, if your story is not served, no amount of pixels will save you. And yes, that's just a fancy way of saying, if your story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with. we are able to do now is you can control all of that through something that we call a volumetric flow vector. A volumetric flow vector. How do you feel? How do you feel? I do not understand the question. What is this for? The question is irrelevant. Radio Film School is a production of Dare Dreamer FM. This episode was written and produced by me. I am Morpheus. Chris Huslidge is our co-producer. It's an honor to meet you. Radio Film School is a proud member of the Podcastica Network, a veritable cornucopia of podcasting goodness. Go to podcastica.com to find nearly a dozen great shows, most of which about pop culture media. If you're a Walking Dead or Game of Thrones fan, be sure to check out the Walking Dead cast and Game of Microphones. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are in the show notes. What truth? I want to thank our sponsors again. First, Muse Storytelling by Still Motion. Learn the patent-pending process Still Motion uses to tell the kind of stories that won them five Emmys and worldwide acclaim. Go to learnstory.org and use the offer code RADIO to save $47 off lifetime access. Second, if you're looking for the perfect tool to collaborate with your clients, Webster is the way to go. Not only do they now have a plugin for Premiere Pro, but a few months ago they launched their Vimeo integration. Now you can go from Webster to Vimeo and back again. Go to webster.io and start collaborating like a pro. Rip it out! Rip! Be gone, J. Evans Pritchard, PhD. Rip, spread the tear, rip it out. This episode was all about technology. And do you want to know another great use of technology? iTunes. It has changed the landscape of music and audio consumption. Why don't you use your iTunes technology and hop on over to our iTunes page and leave us a rating and review. It improves our rankings, which helps the show get found by others, which ultimately makes the world a better place. It really does. Studies have shown that it does. The standard mount on it is the Leica L mount, which is a proprietary Leica mount. However, there are adapters to use. There's going to be a lot of monitors out there that are brighter and are using some internal transfer characteristic. Some internal transfer characteristic to create a, quote, bright picture from 709, even though it's not true high dynamic range. Another way you can help is by sharing this episode with a friend, or better yet, on your Facebook wall. 
I bet you know someone out there who's just a tad too gear lusty and needs better perspective. A prison for your mind. So go ahead and send him or her this episode. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. You can follow me on Twitter at DareDreamerFM and you can follow the show at Radio Film School. That's it for this week. Since I basically already gave you my regular Story Sucks send-off, I'll leave you with this. The scene from Dead Poet Society, which, considering it was used by Apple Computer, makes it the perfect ending to this episode about technology. Enjoy. And tell better stories. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, oh me, O life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, O me, O life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists, and identity. That the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. Powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? How do you feel? Now, is it pronounced Mara or Mara? Mara. Okay, so I was listening to a podcast. It was one of the, I think it was one of the movie review podcasts, and they were talking about, oh, maybe have even been on film splitting. They were talking about uh, Rooney Mara and Kate yeah. Mara uh, <laughs> and how they each pronounced the – yeah, it was film spotting. And they were talking about the pronunciation – the correct pronunciation of their last names. Have you ever heard that discussion? No, I, I have not. So uh, apparently based on uh, – apparently the correct pronunciation for their last name is Mara. But one oh. of them pronounces it Mara. And um, I think I think Kate pronounces it Mara, and then Rooney was like teasing her about it online through a tweet or something like that. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. So that's really funny. I actually I'm uh, of um, my background is Italian. My mom is from Central Italy, so I've actually always gone by Mara, and then Mara, Mara kind of yeah, and then Mara kind of came about once I realized like in middle school that nobody. Uh, Seemed very comfortable saying it that way, so it became Mara. I always like to ask people how they like to be called, or how, the, or rather, the the correct pronunciation of their names. I prefer to use the correct pronunciation, and uh, I actually referred to this story in one of my early episodes. But um, uh, I used to work with this uh, Armenian woman, and um, she, I was a uh, director of finance and she was in the accounting department and when she was new her name was carolyn 
And I asked her if she likes to go by Carol or Carolyn because I heard some people calling her Carol and some people calling her Carolyn. And she would she always say, "Oh, I don't care, like whatever you want." And I said, "No, really. What did you like? What do you like to go by?" And she insisted on saying, "I don't care. You know, whatever you, you want." And I said, "Okay, I'll just call you Frank." And uh, so I so that was my nickname. <laughs> that was my nickname for her was Frank because <laughs> she kept saying, "Whatever you want, I don't care." <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was I'm sure good. next time she'll tell you what she wants. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hmm? Ah! Oh. Podcast to go.